So I'm going to try and keep this brief. This isn't going to be a talk. Um, it's going to be a 40-minute reflection. <clears throat> very different. They're very different. Um, no, no, I'm going to try and keep it brief. I, I want to sort of name, and hopefully this is consistent with everything that Tyler's been sort of like stirring and inviting us into. I just want to name the spiritual, spirituality that I think we as a church are stepping into, chasing after, um, and I don't think we can say fully this is the spirituality we inhabit. I don't think I personally can say that this is the spirituality I inhabit. But this is the spirituality I'm contending for. This is the direction of travel for me. Um, we've wrestled with this as a, a leadership team. This is direction of travel for us as a leadership team. Um, I want to suggest this is direction of travel for us as a church. Um, and it involves a, a diagram with a triangle, and it is not creation, decreation, recreation. I have more than that message, um, but it is another triangle. Um, and it basically, um, I think what's stirring, not just at KXC Beyond, is, is, is the Father saying, the Son saying, the Spirit saying, okay, it's time to go after the lost. That's what revival's always about. It's not fire being poured out so that our gatherings are just less boring, a bit more entertaining because more is happening in the room. Um, Signs and wonders are exactly that. They are signs. They point somewhere. They point towards the kingdom of God. Um, And the kingdom of God is about people that haven't experienced that kingdom, stepping into that kingdom and their lives being totally reorientated, totally transformed. Um, And I think what's stirring in this church, what's stirring in the church um, beyond KXC, across London, across the nation, is a missional spirituality is emerging, us engaging um, with those outside the walls of the church. There's a desperation in the culture. I think that's led to the church rediscovering prayer at the front and centre of of each community. Like for those that come to our Seek First gatherings, it's extraordinary what's happening at our Seek First prayer meetings. Like rewind the clock maybe a year, 20 or 30 people would faithfully come and pray. And I want to honour those that were present when it felt harder work. And yet we were saying, God, you were the same yesterday, today and forevermore. So we're going to continue to pray. Um, you were there um, when, it was, when it was tough going. And now some of our Seek First gatherings is between 100 and 150 people in the room. And the sense of God's presence and the sense of expectancy, the sense of faith is truly remarkable. It's a new thing. It's something that the spirit is, is stirring. So the the church is beginning to pray again and I think some of those prayers are beginning to be answered and we're beginning to see people come to faith in greater measure, whether it be in, in Pentonville Prison, whether it be with young people at First Fridays in the youth club, whether it be at our Sunday gatherings, whether it be at the Alpha course, whether it be on the street, this stuff is happening. It's happening and we are discovering a missional spirituality but to sustain a missional spirituality, I think we need to develop a contemplative spirituality A lot is being written right now of how to not just survive in the city, but how to thrive in the city. From Christian and secular writers, and and essentially they agree on the fact that to thrive in the city, you need to have rhythms of retreating from the city. That might be geographical retreating, like heading out, doing holidays really well. Like if you want to thrive in London over the long haul, it's just like, you know, really practical, like do holidays really well. 
like get into the countryside. For B and I on sabbatical, this was significant. I found myself craving nature. That was a new thing for me. I, I would hear people talk about seeing like, you know, sunsets and being overwhelmed and crying. And I was like, that's just strange. You know, of people being in nature and hugging trees. And I'm like, that's just not right. There's, there's prayer healing for that kind of stuff. You know, and, and yeah, on sabbatical, I realized my, my, my being was craving to be in nature. And I realized what it was that when you're in the city over a long period of time, everything in the city points to the glory of mankind, of humankind, right? The buildings, the businesses and what people have accomplished, everywhere you look it feels like it's the glory of humanity and yet when you step into nature and you see a tree that's been there for a thousand years like that's the glory of God and when you see an ocean that's just relentless and it keeps pounding the shore you're like that's the glory of God and when you see a mountain you're like that that's the glory of God and something in your being is recalibrated by the glory of God um, so there's something about a contemplative spirituality that I think we need to learn to inhabit if we're going to thrive in the city over the long haul. And my hope and prayer is that a number, like a lot in this room, um, will be called to serve in London, not just for a few weeks, not just for three years at university or your first graduate job, um, but over years, maybe decades. But to thrive, I think we need to, to develop a, a contemplative spirituality that enables us to retreat and to truly rest. Um, you know, this whole bread journey, that's part of it, of stepping into a contemplative spirituality where you wake up and it's not this sort of device that dictates the day. When the first thing you open isn't your sort of your email or your social media feed, is the scriptures. And you have 10, 20, 30 minutes just in the presence of God, not snacking on the bread of anxious toil, but feasting on the presence of God, reading through a passage and then finding a place of encounter in one verse where you're just drawn in and you begin to hear the song of the Father over you. That will recalibrate you, right? Just the voice of the Father over your life. So I think we're on a journey of, of, of learning some ancient practices that help us thrive in the city. And Lectio Divina, like this way of reading the scripture that's not just about information, it's about inspiration. That means we can incarnate these truths and live them out in the city. Um, that we're learning to read scripture um, in a whole new way. That's part of this contemplative spirituality. I think we're going to learn to pray in a new way. Um, so again, simple practices that I'm trying to do. I start each day, I've, I've taken Pete Gregg's simple sort of like mnemonic, acronym, whatever they are, um, P-R-A-Y, that's supposed to pray by the way, um, P, just pause, a moment to pause, um, R, to reflect, there's two parts of reflection, it's rejoicing, so it's starting with gratitude, so I'm just focusing all the, all the good things that God has done in and around my life, and that reorientates my mindset as I begin to feast on what God is actually doing, not lack, I'm just seeing where God's at work, and um, the second part of the R is repentance, which isn't just confession of sin, that's part of it, but it's wherever I'm hurting, Wherever I'm feeling anxious, wherever the pain, you know, is, I basically bring that to the Father and say, you know, repentance means to turn, to turn towards. In this disappointment, in this pain, and yes, in confessing this sin, I'm turning my heart towards you. So there's rejoicing and there's repentance. A is ask. I'm then going to bring my, you know, list to the Father of like, Lord, would you break through in this situation? And a building for KXC, yes, please. Um, and, and I just begin to name the things that I feel like God has put on my heart. And, I, and that's kind of contending, that's intercession. And then there's why, which is yield. And I just surrender. And at that moment, I say, like, God, I've, I've shared what's on my heart, the mess, but also the request, the petitions. What's on your heart? Yield. I, I'm stopping now. I'm going to listen. Is there anything you want to say? 
before I crack on with my day, make no mistake, I am going to crack on with my day. But before I do, is there anything you want to say? Because your voice is more important than any other voice in my life. And I listen. Sometimes he says something, sometimes he doesn't. But if he does, I write it down. And then the day begins. And then midday, um, like 12 noon, that's midday, by the way. Um, I, I just say the Lord's Prayer. It takes 20 seconds, but again, just you know, bringing my heart back to the Father. And at the end of the day, this is a habit I'm trying to step more into, is, is the prayer of examine, um, where I just go through the day. Um, so three R's again, like remember. I just remember the day, the good, the bad, the ugly. What happened today? R, I rejoice. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. That was amazing, that bit, that answer to prayer, that conversation, that coffee was awesome. Um, just really small things. And then R, repent. When I said that to my kid, I'm sorry. And when I did that in the office, I'm sorry. And that conversation hurt me today. I turned towards you. That's repentance too. Um, and then the final R is reset, like reboot. It's like, okay, that day's done. I give it to you now. I'm going to go to bed. Um, I'm going to wake up ready for a new day and a new encounter. Just three moments of the day, the beginning, pray, um, middle of the day, Lord's Prayer, end of the pray, examine. Like, this is like some of the best of contemplative spirituality of how you just take moments out of the day just to sort of be in the presence of God. So like feasting on scripture, this whole thing this morning of eat the bread, I mean, I love that, particularly when we've sold out of the bread copies. You can't eat any more of that bread. That devotional book is gone. We're going to have to order some more copies. But it's like everything that Tyler was saying about joy is found on feasting on the presence. Well, as we immerse ourselves in scripture, we're going to encounter the presence of God. So we're feasting on, on God's daily bread. We're, we're turning towards prayer. One, want to learn to do Sabbath well. Like taking a day which isn't just a day off. Like a day off is when you don't do your normal job. You just do other jobs around the house. Yeah, like practical work. That isn't rest, by the way. I want to encourage you to think about one day where it's just about rest and delight. Just putting stuff back into the tank. B and I are trying to learn how to do the Sabbath well. These are practices that enable us to operate from a place of fullness. Not to be running on empty, snacking the bread of anxious toil, but present to one another and present to those around us, but ultimately present to God. Um, so this is what we're going to be stepping more and more into um, a contemplative spirituality. Um, but a contemplative spirituality wouldn't be enough for me. Um, there's something more than just sort of like retreating to be in the presence of, of the Father. Um, basically, I, I want to create space where I'm still and yes, at one um, with God, but I want his fire to fall upon me. So I think we're also chasing after a revival spirituality. And I think we're seeing some of that in our corporate gatherings. And, and maybe the revival spirituality will be expressed most in the corporate context. Yes, in the personal too. Um, but these moments where we're contending, it's not just resting. It's knocking on the door of heaven saying, God, we're not going to quit until you hear this cry for an outpouring of your spirit in this day, in this city. That we're going to just keep on going for our friends that don't know Jesus. We're just going to keep on going. We're going to knock on the door of heaven and we're going to contend. And I think in the last... Um, year or so haven't we seen a shift in the spirituality of Kirksey just feels like there's a greater measure of faith in the room that we are worshipping different, differently with a greater level of expectation that we're beginning to pray differently I, I just want to highlight that I think this goes hand in hand with the greater diversity that God has blessed us with as a family that as different cultures come together and different backgrounds and, and theological frameworks come together actually the streams flow together and there becomes a momentum 
you know, a momentum develops. And I think actually some of the, the diversity, um, we've sort of somehow sort of learned from this Pentecostal spirituality of, you know, we're going to press into faith, that we're going to contend for more of what God has for us. Um, and that, that is the gift of some of the black majority churches and the ethnic minority churches in this nation, that we sent out missionaries, right? But we're in a season where the missionaries are being sent to London and they are teaching the church in the UK how to pray and how to worship and how to walk by faith and not by sight. And we need to say yes and amen to that. Um, so I, I sense it. I think we all sense as a community that, that there's a revival spirituality that's being poured out and we want to say yes to it. Is it going to look strange at times? yes. Are we going to be misunderstood? Yes. Um, but the whole point of God calling out a holy people, a peculiar people, is that they would look different. That people would see the church in worship and be like, there's something weird about that. That's intriguing for me enough for me to actually move towards it because I want to understand it. Like listening to the church pray should shake people up a little bit. Oh my goodness, they're praying with faith. They're expecting something to happen. Like I think we're beginning to step more into that. So there's a, a contemplative spirituality of retreating so that we can fully, fully receive all that the Spirit wants to pour out. Um, but the revival spirituality isn't just for kind of greater energy and the hyped up gathering. Um, it's so that we can re-engage in mission, right? It's so that the fire that gets sent out and becomes an awakening in the, in the church. You know, revival is something happens, that happens in the church. Awakening is something that happens in the culture, in the city. And we're praying for both. The fire to be poured out on the church so that we can take the fire into the city and see culture renewed and redeemed. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're praying for. We want a spirituality. It isn't just about retreating. It's about retreating so that we can be filled with the presence of God so that we can be sent out into the world. And see an awakening happen all around us. Is that what you long for? Uh, that's what I long for. Um, Mark says, um, has great language for this. He basically highlights some of the differences in a number of the revivals over the last however many hundreds of years. And one of the defining features of the last evangelical awakening in this nation, like a significant awakening that took place, was essentially the church had lost its way. And the church had just forgotten some of these ancient practices of opening ourselves up to the fire of God. Um, so what Wesley did, he recognized that, yes, we needed the fire, but we needed to build vessels so that the fire could fall and fill these vessels, overflow from these vessels, and then flow out to the city and to the culture. That's what Methodism was all about. Like, it's in the name. It was a method. Like, he had structures of small groups, he called them holy clubs, where people would gather and, and they would develop these disciplines of reading scripture, of prayer, of Sabbath, of fasting, and, and basically saying, Lord, we've got these structures now because the church had just lost any sense of structure. We've got these structures, we've got these vessels, they're empty, so would you fill them with fire? Um, and God answered that prayer. He filled these vessels with fire, these small groups and these congregations with fire. And the fire began to overflow and it began to redeem and restore the city and, and the surrounding culture. Um, and Sayers compares that to the Hebridean revival and maybe the Welsh revival. That were moments where basically the church just fell asleep. It had structures. People were doing these kind of disciplines, but it became dead religion. They didn't need form anymore. They just needed fire. Right? Some revivals in history are far more about fire. But I think we live at an age where actually we're being called back to develop formation. Like we need vessels. Like a lot of people in the church and outside the church, they just don't know how to live well. 
They don't know how to do life well. Anxiety is debilitating. They don't know how to hold down a career and hold down a marriage and raise kids. They just don't know how to do life well. They've got no structure, no disciplines. And it's true in the church as well as outside the church. And that's why we're trying to do some really simple things of teaching a younger generation how to read the Bible. I think we spent too long telling people, you should read the Bible, but we haven't actually trained them. Here's how you actually do it. You read a passage and and dot, dot, dot. So we're trying to do some really simple things, teaching people how to read scripture, how to pray, how to rest, like very practical wisdom from the saints over the history and from the scriptures. Um, So we're creating these vessels. We're asking that they'd be filled with fire. And all of this is for the sake of an awakening. This is how I think we're going to see the rule and reign of heaven break into our city. This is the spirituality that we're chasing after, right? So I just want to name it. And over the next year or so, we're probably going to hear more about this of like the contemplative. How do we retreat? How do we rest? How do we do all of that stuff? We're going to hear more about this revival spirituality, how we contend, how we live by faith, how we sort of like pray more for supernatural activity in our, in our gathered context and in our personal lives. But all of this is for the sake of the city. It's for the sake of the kingdom of God to break out, for culture to be renewed. Um, So this is the thing that's stirring in my heart, is that all of this is formation for the sake of mission. And I just want to name that. I just want you to sort of like soak that information for the sake of mission. There is a wave of writers talking about formation. Um, And I think one of the things that the enemy's trying to do is twist some of the teaching. And the emphasis has become formation for the sake of wellness. I don't think that's a New Testament spirituality. I just want to name it right now. It's formation for the sake of mission. Do I believe in wellness? Absolutely. Do I believe that healthy spiritual formation leads to wellness? Do I think that we should take seriously mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health? I absolutely do. We want to press more into that. But that isn't the telos. That isn't the end goal. The end goal is mission. We do these practices because we want to be healthy, but we want to be healthy so that we can participate in the ministry of Jesus. And his priority was to go after the lost, right? He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. You know, I'm told the illustration of the lost sheep. I'm going to leave the 99 because my priority is the lost. I've not come for the righteous. I've come for those that actually need a doctor. In other words, I have come. My priority isn't those in the room. My priority is those that aren't in the room and they are on the estates and they are in the prisons and they are in your workplaces and they are in your families and some of them are your flatmates. They are my priority. Um, That is a missional spirituality. Wellness is important. Your mental wellness, emotional health, all of this is important. But spirituality in the New Testament is formation always for the sake of mission. So this is um, the language that I think we're going to use more and more in 2020. We're going to leave for the 99. Let me briefly explain it. Um, This was the parable of Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Pete's slides just keep getting better and better. (laughs) I know. And I appreciate that. Um, that I have done the counting. That is 99 sheep, just so you know. Um, And that is one lost sheep. And Jesus' parable is, is the priority is the one, right? The priority is the one. He makes this point again and again. I'm going to go after the tax collectors and the adulterers and the prostitutes and the outcasts. The priority is the lost sheep, right? Again and again, we see that in the heart of Jesus. The prodigal son story, it's always a movement towards the lost, the hurting, the broken. 
Here's um, the current context we find ourselves in nationally. 4.7% regularly attend church. So if you look at the left, you'll see four sheep. Don't ask what happened to the other one. It was painful for me to cut off its head like that. I didn't enjoy it. I'd rather not talk about it. So 4.7% currently attend church and would say that they have a living, active faith. So that's the national context. I just want to zoom further in then on our context. So we're zooming not just nationally, we're zooming in on London. And more than London, we're zooming in on on King's Cross, where we find ourselves. And And we're zooming in on a certain demographic that's most present in King's Cross. And if you do the maths, I haven't done it exactly, precisely, but it's not going to be far off this, the context we find ourselves in, that 1% are in church. 1% are in church. So if we compare the parable of Jesus with our context um, as um, three congregations worshipping in the heart of King's Cross, it's a complete inverse of the parable of Jesus. Like, can you see that? Can you see that? A complete inverse of the parable of Jesus. Um, Missional spirituality, the one that we see um, in, the, in the parable of Jesus, is, is I'm going to trust the 99. We'll look after one another, that they will grow to maturity and look after one another. Um, but I'm going to go after the one. Like, it's all about the one. I want to see that the sun return. I want to see the lost sheep come back. I want to see the most hurting experience. Healing, it's, it's all about the lost. Um, An introspective spirituality looks like the one on the right, where we take that command about leaving the 99, um, and we take it literally, right? We are going to leave them. We're just going to ignore them. We're going to leave the 99. We're going to ignore them. Um, and that might not be our heart, but that has become the practice of, of much of the Western church. We're going to ignore the 99. And we're going to develop spiritual practices that are all about wellness, that help us do life better. And we're going to develop discipleship programs that become very introspective. Um, and essentially, we're trying to look after the one that's still in. And we're like, we don't want to lose any more. Like the church has been hemorrhaging, particularly amongst the younger demographics. We can't lose any more. We need to hold on to what we have. We need to regather. Um, and an introspective spirituality you won't find on any page of the New Testament, right? So if Jesus was ministering in our context, um, I wonder what language he would use. I I wonder if he would begin to use different language. I wonder if he'd say, okay, the spirituality, missional spirituality for this age is leave for the 99. I want you to leave what currently is comfortable, these programs that you've developed to look after yourselves. I I want you to leave that um, because your priority now is to go after the lost sheep. Like, we all know that the the culture that is all around us, that we operate within, we've been part of the problem, right? Even though we long to be part of the remedy, we know there's so much hurting. We know that there's so much anxiety. We know that there's so much fatigue and exhaustion and people are losing hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's a huge amount of sickness all around us because people are living without hope. And we're looking after one another, speaking words of hope just over the one. And God's saying, no, 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 it's, it's, it's about the lost sheep. Like it's the 99 in your context that are lost right now. They are the priority. Speak hope, speak life, minister to those that are currently lost. Um, The spirituality on the left is reckless. When Jesus told the story about leaving 99 to go after the one, the response would have been like, like that's crazy, that's so reckless. The spirituality on the right, it would be reckless not to, right? 
for us just to get comfortable right now when the culture's in disarray and people are longing for hope but don't know where to turn and they're turning to all sorts of different practices just to try and push down some of the anxiety and some of the pain. It would be reckless not for us to develop a missional spirituality. So this is the the question I just want to sort of throw out there. Are we going to settle for a vision of formation that's primarily about wellness? And we can dress that up however we want, but underneath it, it's essentially narcissistic. I want to be well. And just so you know, if the priority for Jesus had been wellness, there would have been no cross. If the priority for Jesus had been wellness, there would have been no suffering and sacrifice. If the priority for Paul had been wellness, he wouldn't have ended up in prison. He wouldn't have been shipwrecked on numerous occasions, beaten, flogged, and and gone through all the stuff that he went through. I mean, if you think about the the, the New Testament and the first wave of apostles, 11 of them, like, brutally murdered, martyred for their faith. Like, if it was about wellness, it would have been a very different story. Yes, they had practices that enabled them to be healthy, but they were healthy because they wanted to reach the people. They wanted to give themselves to the mission of God, going after the lost sheep all around. So are we going to settle for a vision of formation that's about wellness? Are we going to leave the 99? In other words, ignore them. It's just like look after ourselves. Or are we going to say, Jesus, like we understand the heart of your parable and we are now going to leave for the 99? We're going to trust your promise that you said you will build your church, that you will look after us, that we will grow to maturity in family as we're led by the Spirit. But we're also going to trust you that you're going to send us out of the walls of the church, out into sort of areas of discomfort where we're going to need faith. We're going to need levels of dependency that we've never needed before. And we're going to trust that your kingdom is going to break out in those contexts. We are leaving for the sake of the 99. This is spiritual formation for the sake of mission. So this is the language. Want us to sort of embrace, soak up. You're going to hear it a lot this year. Leave for the 99. Like we've said this to the staff team. We're going to try and restructure so much of what we do like around mission now. So we've been blessed with this incredible culture of worship. And we're just beginning to have conversations of what if we just hired out some gig venues like Water Rats and just did some worship nights in the pubs around King's Cross. Like, what if we do some prayer and prophetic gatherings? Because we've got an amazing culture of the prophetic. But what if we did a couple of gatherings where we're like, any of your non-Christian friends that are up for having a number of people just prophesy over them, just bring them to a certain venue in King's Cross and we'll prophesy over folk. Like, if, if you said to some colleagues, hey, do you want your you know, palm reading? I've got a friend who does it, like, really cheap. I bet some of them would be like, that's weird. I'm in. Sounds fun. Or like, oh, there's some sort of Eastern spirituality thing that my friends are doing. Do you want to come and do some, mm, or whatever it might be? And that, sorry, that was an overspill. Uh, but there's such spiritual hunger. I bet people are like, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. And yet we're not even offering to open ourselves to hear the Spirit of God, believing that the Spirit of God might speak a word that totally alters their destiny and encourages them in the core of their being. Like, why are we just prophesying over one another? Like, what, what, what's that about? What if we actually invited our friends to hear the voice of God and took a risk? Like, we have so many stories of people being prophesied over and it just nailing what's happening in their life and bringing such encouragement. Why wouldn't we do it for the world? Like, we did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, you know, series on a Sunday. And do you know what? We probably had more non-Christians come to that series than to, like, most of our Sunday series. And people were like... I'm here not primarily because I'm inquisitive about the person of Jesus, 
but I'm experiencing grief. And I heard that one of the sessions was about how to grieve well. Like people were coming saying, I, I don't know how to manage anxiety. And I heard you're like doing some teaching on anxiety. In other words, we were doing a course to try and help the congregation be emotionally well. And non-Christians were like, oh, could I come along? Inviting themselves. Like, how crazy is that? Why wouldn't we be inviting them? Like you're going through grief. Like we do this course that helps people like just sort of like open themselves up when, when they're going through grief and manage and process pain well. Like why don't we do some of these incredible courses like and offer them to the world, right? Believing that actually Jesus has something to say about health and processing pain and dot, dot, dot. Pattern, another example, Pete and the team, they're beginning to think about how do we help people outside the church like develop healthy patterns, like what if you had a pattern group that was three non-Christians and you and you went through your story and then sort of like cast a vision for what's ahead and then spoke about different practices that might help you get there. And the contending bit, you can do, you can pray. They might not pray to God, but you can. Um, why wouldn't we not be discipling people like before they come to faith? If you read through the gospel narratives, right? Most of the disciples, it's halfway through the narrative. They've been healing the sick, casting out demons. They've been doing the stuff and they don't fully know who Jesus is. And then they have the moment where Peter says, okay, I get it. And you have this confession of faith. You are the Christ, son of the living God. He'd been doing the stuff before that. Why would we not start discipling people before they're in our, our church gatherings? Like, you know, our kids work. I've been speaking to Abby and some of the team about what would it look like to actually begin to sort of do the best of our kids' work and youth work for those outside of the church. Every area of church life, our worship, our community stuff, our leadership development, our compassion ministries, like all of it. We're trying to say, how can we turn it out? Because we believe we actually have something to offer the world. So this is the spirituality we're going after. just want to name it one more time, a contemplative spirituality, like anchored in scripture rhythms of prayer and rest and sabbath a revival spirituality lord send your fire lord send revival start with me i want to grow in faith i want to contend i want to knock on the door of heaven i want to step into all that you have for me but all of that is to point us outwards so that we can engage with what god's doing in the world and see an awakening in london in our nation across the world that's what we long for right that's what we long for